0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Glad to be here this morning. Um, We're in the book of Matthew. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, we've been in the book of Matthew for a while. Uh, We're in chapter 14. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can start working your way there this morning. We're going to read that in a minute. Um, But as we get started to prepare our hearts a little bit, question for you is, uh, how do you personally respond to disappointment and grief in your life? As you think about when you are facing grief or disappointment, um, what is your natural response? Is your natural response um, to withdraw? Are you someone who isolates? In the midst of grief, are you someone um, who who wants to share your story? <laughs> do you uh, do you share your disappointment um, with other people? Plead your case. Do you do you run away? Um, do you rebel? I was thinking of Bible um, uh, uh, people in the Bible, and then I think of like Jonah when things got hard. He wanted to go the opposite way that God had called him. Do you double down and work harder? Is that some, Do you just knuckle down and just say, things are really difficult right now, so I'm just going to go to work? Um, if I were to uh, be honest and open, if my wife were here, which I think she'll be at the next service, but um, she would say I'm probably one part isolation and two parts double down. Um, when, uh, when things get hard or when I'm, when I'm disappointed, I tend to find projects. I don't like to be just sitting, uh, home alone. I like to be doing something. And so my wife benefits from that because I do a lot of house projects, um, when I'm disappointed. So you can, uh, yeah, if you come to my home, you will know how much disappointment I've faced in my life. Um... <laughs> Very easy to see. Most of the time, the projects are useful. Sometimes they are not. Um, I do have a, I, I don't know if I should confess this, but I have a—I have a beach cruiser moped that I built, um, which is not useful in any way. Uh, I, w- I must have really been grieving that day. Um, so anyway, the, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm asking this question is because I, I want to prepare our hearts a little bit. I probably, I probably made it too light at the end there, but I want to prepare our hearts. How do we face grief and disappointment for some of you um right now it, it's it's okay to be a little bit light You're, you can kind of make fun of yourself if you think about how you have in the past or how you might respond to grief but for some of us this morning we come in here grieving um, we come in here disappointed in something or someone that's happened to us or something in our life and so it's it's too soon maybe to make light of it um but it is a question I want to ask because I think it's, it's pertinent to the text this morning. Um, so let me read the text that we're going to, uh, that we're going to dive into. It's in uh, chapter 14, verse 13. If you're able, stand for the reading of the Word. We're going to do 13 through 21. It says, when Jesus heard about it, He withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowd heard this, they followed Him on foot from the town. When He went ashore, He saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and He healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached Him and said, This place is deserted and it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They do not need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed them, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied, and they picked up twelve baskets full of leftover pieces, Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. We thank you that it not only teaches us um, what it looks like to follow you, but it also reveals your character. And that is our hope this morning that we would understand your character, understand you more, know you more deeply through your word this morning. Open our ears, open our hearts that that would be the case. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the reason I asked you about grief and disappointment as we go to this text is that it begins with this, this uh, statement, when Jesus heard about it. Do you remember what He just heard about? Last week we talked about um, the beheading of John the Baptist. That, uh, that preceding this event, John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus, John the Baptist, the one who came to make way uh, make the way for Jesus, was just murdered for his faith. And when Jesus hears this, Jesus um, withdrew from the crowd um, by boat and this isn't the, this isn't just the last thing that happened. not only did this happen, but preceding that, um, if you look in your um, in your Bible in verse 13. We have um, jesus who who speaks in his hometown in nazareth and and they are offended by his message so if when we come to this passage, it isn't it isn't just in isolation. And sometimes we can be so familiar with the passage that that um, we can kind of yada 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 that passage, right? Like, yeah, we know about Jesus feeding the five thousand fishes and loaves. We've been hearing about this since we're children, if if we grew up in the church. Um, it's the only miracle that's recorded um, in all four gospels, um, and so we've heard this a lot. We've heard this story a lot, and sometimes we can miss some of the point. And so I want us to to um, to take note of the fact that that's the last two things that happened before we step into this passage, is that he was rejected in Nazareth, and um, his, his cousin uh, and someone he respected and loved had just been murdered. And if you're wondering um, what uh, Jesus thought of John, um, he says in Matthew 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. So he has great respect for John. And so Jesus is in a place where, for him personally, I mean, sometimes I think it's hard for us to, to grasp this because we, have, we, we should have a very high regard for, God, uh, for Jesus because he is divine, he is God. But sometimes we forget that he is also fully man. That He is fully human. And it's very important for us to understand in our faith that He is both fully God and fully man. That He is both. And that means that he, can, that he not just can, but He does feel the pain of loss. We see this when His friend Lazarus dies and He weeps over the loss of His friend Lazarus. In this moment, when we see the response of Jesus, it seems very natural. That after hearing about John, what He wants to do is He wants to retreat from the crowd. If you're wondering if he really wants to get away from the crowd, he goes by boat, right? So the crowd, as it presses in, he, trying to get away, the only way to get away is actually to get in the boat and just row out to get away for a moment because he wants, I think, he wants some time with the Father and he himself just needs time to grieve. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's the God we sing to. Is not just, he is by all means all powerful, but he is also caring and loving. Hope we can see that this morning as we dive uh, into um, this word. You see, as Jesus, um, as he tries to get away and get away from the crowd, let's take a minute to look at how the crowd responds what does the crowd do when they see jesus try to get away they follow him right you ever had you ever been in that position in your life where there's something really heavy you're just you just need a minute but the world doesn't let you go right you can see some moms shaking their heads (laughs) right they're not the only ones that face this but certainly they face it on a daily basis right that when Jesus tries to withdraw, the crowd, um, the crowd pursues Jesus. They don't show any empathy. They don't show consideration for what for what has happened. And it's it possible that they don't know, but it's very possible that they do know. Um, Jesus was able to find out in the midst of the crowd. Someone was able to give him the news. Certainly, that's the kind of news that spreads. So certainly, they might know what's going on. So they're either, they either don't care or they're just, um, or they're just oblivious, right? And what would make the crowd, what would make the crowd oblivious um, is that for us, and this is a very, also a very human response, is that when we have pain in our lives, it's often hard to see beyond it. And when things are going on in our lives, it's very difficult at times to, to see what's going on with the people around us. We're so focused on what's going on with us. And the crowd oblivious to the pain follows Jesus and, and chases him down. They want, they want a piece of Jesus. I know this makes me sound old, but it reminded me of the, I think it's the Billy Joel song. Um, is he the, the piano man? Is that Billy Joel, right? Play us the song, You're the Piano Man. He's a song about the crowd just wanting more from him, wanting him to play a song. They don't care how he feels, right? Um, I wish I had a song for the younger crowd, but I am what I am, right? I am what I am. So that's how the crowd presses in. And I think if I'm, if I'm looking at, at this situation, and I put myself in Jesus' shoes, um, I would not be uh, disappointed if, if Jesus sent them away. Right? That's probably how I'd respond. Like, do you not understand what I'm dealing with right now? That's the response that, that I would expect, um, maybe not expect from Jesus, but maybe I would give myself the freedom to do. Um, but Jesus responds in a different way. And it, 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 it's interesting to me. Um, um, it's cliche for us to like Chick-fil-A around here, but uh, if you're a Chick-fil-A fan... Um, I had, uh, I had some executives come in from Chick-fil-A uh, to talk with my staff about customer service and one of the things that they said that they, they teach their employees is this idea that everyone has a story. Any Chick-fil-A folks out there? You heard that? Anyone work for Chick-fil-A? Um, that everyone has a story, and the reason that they and the point behind this is that when someone comes into the store, and if they're rude to you, and you're working for Chick Fil A, um, that they want you to respond um, first with with empathy. The idea that you know what they may there may be something going on in their lives that I don't know about. They may have just lost a job. They may have just put their dog down. Uh, I don't know why they're being rude, but but I want to assume and give them the benefit of the doubt that something else might be going on. And so, um, and rather than get offended, what would it look like to, to um, press in uh, with kindness? And it's funny that we're going we're gonna to take some, some truth from Chick-fil-A this morning, um, but that's a very Jesus response, right? Uh, Jesus knows that the issues that are coming to him are not, um, are not just superfluous. I couldn't think of a better word, and that's the word I came up with. Can you imagine? Um <laughs> But they have real issues. They have people that are sick, um, people that are dying that he's bringing to them. And so he, he knows they're being rude, um, but he still moves towards them in compassion. You know, my hope would be to talk to the crowd and say, hey, maybe you could also consider it the other way as well as you take your needs to Jesus that, that maybe he's carrying more than you could imagine. Because we do this to one another. We end up on both sides of this. Sometimes we're in the position of Jesus, where we're carrying a a heavy weight, and people come to us with needs. Sometimes it's our children. Sometimes it's our parents. I know some of the the, um, younger kids here. You know, sometimes even your parents are are oblivious to what's going on in your life, and they're bringing something to you, and and they're not always considerate of what's of, of what you're carrying. And children, sometimes we do that to our parents. But sometimes we're on that position of either being the crowd, being oblivious to to what someone else is going through, or we're in the position of receiving that and having to respond. And so what I want us to do is kind of look at this and kind of say, okay, um, how does Jesus respond that way? And how do we treat each other, um, treat one another better? How do we give one another the benefit of the doubt? How do we consider... um, for one another, that there might be something more going on when we're disappointed by someone's reaction. Does that make sense? I mean, sometimes you come and it might be with a friend, might be with a community group leader. Sometimes you do this with your pastors, that you have an issue. Maybe the the sound's too loud. Ever got that? Any pastor get that complaint? You know, um, you know, for just, this is just to let the curtain down because I'm a guest preacher. So, you know, I can do this, but, um, for everyone that complains that the sound is too loud, there's someone who's complaining that the sound's not loud enough, right? And sometimes when you bring, uh, you bring concerns, and I'm not trying to discourage concerns. We're a body, we're, we're, we're a family. We should bring concerns. But sometimes we don't take into account that, that um, either your pastor or your community group leader or your friend may be carrying the weight of something more. For your pastors, carrying the weight of broken marriages, um, people who are sick, um, they're carrying the weight of, of, of maintaining uh, this family, the, the budget, when, when money's short. They're carrying a lot. And sometimes you might feel like you're being dismissed, like your concern doesn't matter. But sometimes it's just there's a, they're carrying a lot more and they don't, they don't intend to be dismissive. Um, they don't intend um, to not hear what you're saying. But there might be more going on. And so the, the, the invitation is just to give each other the benefit of the doubt. To know, like, like I know uh, the men who pastor this church, and they love you dearly. Um, I meet with Lyle at least twice a month, uh, once with the other lead pastors around Sojourn and personally, and he loves this church dearly. So if you're ever disappointed in Lyle, um, pray for him. Care for him. Uh, because that's what he's doing for you. Um, that was a little side note. He didn't ask me to do that, but... Um, I think it's always important for us to kind of see what's happening here and apply it to our lives. So, the crowd comes, they're oblivious, and how does Jesus respond? He responds with compassion. He has every right to be upset, but He responds with compassion. As we look at this text, the character of God, we have a God that despite the fact that the crowd moves towards Him, with, without consideration and and being oblivious that he responds with compassion this is the character of god if we see in exodus 34 when god reveals who he is he says the lord It says the lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the lord the lord is a compassionate and gracious god slow to anger and abounding in faithful truth and love this morning is just a reminder of the compassion of god I don't know if you need to hear that this morning. Um, you may be seeing God um, right now and kind of the, the, the powerfulness of God and there may be something going on where, where you're not sure if you can approach God. This is the character of God. The, even when you don't bring your best, even when you um, come at Him with a heart that is not pure, He responds with compassion. I think that's a beautiful picture This morning that that he meets their needs so you have a people who's putting their needs in front of everybody else's they're not considering anybody else's needs and god doesn't chastise them he doesn't rebuke them he meets their need he heals their sick we're going to see in a minute he feeds them I think that's a beautiful beautiful message for me this morning, is that that when I approach God, in my obliviousness, in um, in my blindness to what's going on in the world, that God responds to me with compassion. That even if it's not the most important thing in the world, God sees it, and He cares about it, and He still meets my needs. Now, when we think about that's the way that Jesus responds, let's take a minute to look at how the disciples respond, and this probably is more reflective of my, my natural response apart from, apart from the Spirit. It says, when the evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. So what's going on here? If, uh, if you're like me, you're a practical person, you're looking at this, and you're just saying the disciples are just being practical. It's getting late. They don't have food. Nothing going on here. I think there's more going on here than that when we look at the context that if you look at the disciples, the disciples have just seen Jesus rejected in His hometown. The disciples have just heard about the beheading of John. John. Um, If we look just a a little bit before those things happened, there was this parable of the hidden treasure where it said, you know, uh, the guy would sell all his possessions to to buy the field, right? So that's what these guys did. They've given everything to this ministry, they've given everything to follow Jesus, and then they're punched in the gut twice. I think the disciples at this point are a bit discouraged so discouraged that they probably don't even see what Jesus is doing with the people so much. But, but, but when Jesus engages the crowd, the disciples have to engage as well, right? The disciples are with Jesus. They're helping. There's over 5,000 people here, somewhere between seven and 9,000 people here. So for them to um, be able to engage with Jesus, the the disciples have to also minister to this crowd, help this crowd, organize this crowd, um, help them uh, get to Jesus and and get those issues taken care of. And I think that they're just tired. What I see here is what I would call a subtle subtle rebuke um, that the disciples are giving to Jesus. They're kind of saying, hey, did you notice it's getting late and these people don't have any food? As if Jesus doesn't know what's going on, right? And so there's this, there's this subtle rebuke of like, hey, maybe we should send them away. But I think what's probably um, going on here is, is that the disciples are asking a deeper, deeper question. And that deeper question for them is, um, do you care about us? You know, John was someone we looked up to too. And John just died and we need some time to deal with this and instead we're here ministering to this crowd and now we're ministering all day and it's getting late do you even care and you can say well how do you pull that out of the text i pull that out of the text because of how jesus responds that jesus flips it very quickly from the people to the disciples right his response is they don't need to go it's it is late and we are in a desert and there is no food but they don't need to go you give them something to eat, so he takes it from the people. The focus on the people—that's what the disciples are. The disciples are trying to use logic to say, "Hey, can we just stop this for a minute?" And Jesus says, "No, this doesn't need to stop. Why don't you feed them?" This will echo another time that we'll hear later. Um, if, if you recall, when when Jesus comes to restore Peter after Peter denies Jesus, do you remember what he says? Says, "Do you love me?" He asks Peter. "Do you love me?" He says Peter. Says, "You know I do, Lord." He says, "Feed my sheep." Here we have Jesus in this moment where they're saying, "Please send them away," and Jesus says, "No, you feed them." This is compassion on the disciples, I believe. I believe, you know, sometimes we get familiar with the story, like I said, and I think a lot of times we think the story is about Jesus feeding 5,000. I think the story is about Jesus' compassion for the disciples. I think he is using this moment to teach them something and to encourage them at this moment. You know, the disciples using this logic, they're whispering this deeper meaning, they're worn out and they're empty, and they're not just saying, We only have, they said, we only have five loaves and fish, but I think what they're really saying there is, we have nothing to give. Five loaves, two fish, 9,000 people. We've got, we've got nothing left. We've got nothing to give these people. And I think often our grief and our disappointment, this is how we feel. We feel at the end of our rope. I can't. I, I got, I've got nothing to give. One more request and, and it's going to knock me over, right? The straw that broke the camel's back. I've got nothing left to give. In my grief, in my disappointment, what is there for me to give to my friends, to my family, to my community? I've got nothing. And so I think it's very um, understandable where the disciples are at. And I think we can all put ourselves in that place at times. This place of knowing, like, I don't know if I can muster any more compassion for someone else. What's interesting here is when they say we only have five loaves and two fish, Jesus doesn't say, and sometimes we can learn a lot about what Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, I don't think that's good enough. Um, can you do one more walk through the crowd and see if you can find two more fish or, or a few more loaves? He didn't say, let me pass the bucket one more time to see if we have more food, right? What does He say? He says, bring it to Me. He says, bring them to Me. This is what you have? Okay. We'll work with what you have. If you can imagine yourself as one of the disciples, at this moment... There's some doubt going on here. They just had a few setbacks. And I can just imagine, like, I, I don't, my, my kids aren't here, so I can probably get away with this <laughs> this morning. But, I, you know, sometimes when you ask your kids to do something, and they're like, okay, dad, you know, I'll go pick up the sticks. And I can just feel the disciples being a little bit like that this moment like, okay, you want the, you want the loaves? Here they are. He brings them. He says, bring it to me. This is all you have. And this is what Jesus does, which I think is so beautiful, is that He invites the disciples to participate in the miracle. He doesn't just say, hey, you're, dis- you're, you're, um, you're frustrated and you're tired, and you're disappointed. Let me tell you what I can do. He invites them into the miracle. If we dig back into nineteen, verse 19, listen to what happens here. So He takes what they have he commands the crowd to sit down on the grass, which is the first miracle, right? He gets eight thousand people, nine thousand people to sit down. And if you've ever worked in children's, which you should, at one you know do your rotation, like to imagine getting nine thousand people to sit on the grass—first miracle. Most people miss that. <laughs> he takes the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blesses them. He breaks the loaves. And who does He give the loaves to? He gives the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples then give the the loaves to the crowd. So, imagine if you're discouraged, if you're grieving, and you're not sure you want to be there, and Jesus says, here's a half a loaf of bread. I want you to walk out into the crowd and I want you to feed them. And so you go reluctantly at first, and you begin to pass the food out. And maybe, I don't know when they realized what was going on, but at some point they begin to collect the leftovers. And each disciple, there's 12 disciples, so breaking five loaves, you don't even get a half a loaf of bread. They pass it out, and they begin to collect the leftovers. And it says, uh, What does it say? says they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Everyone ate and was satisfied. And you're one of those disciples who started off discouraged and then you're watching people eat and be satisfied and their needs being met and you begin to collect and, and see the bounty of God's provision. That God doesn't just provide exactly what you need. That His provision goes way above what you could ever imagine. That it would fill... 12 baskets of leftovers after feeding 5,000 people. How would you respond in that moment? You know, I was going to bring in some props. I was going to bring in baskets this morning, but I'm not much of a prop guy. Um, But Jesus uses props in this moment. He doesn't just tell his disciples about his grace, he wants them to experience it physically. He wants them to carry the weight of His compassion. So that they can not only see it and hear it, they can also feel it. They can feel the weight of the miracle. What a beautiful way for Jesus to buttress the faith of the disciples in that moment. That maybe they were having doubts about decisions they made. Maybe they weren't sure if God was going to meet their needs as they'd given up everything for Him. And maybe today, you're in that place where where you put your faith in Jesus, but right now, things are hard. Life is heavy. The world has has, um, pushed against you or maybe just life circumstances are weighing you down. And Jesus is saying, I want you to experience My provision. I want you to know that what little... if, If you have nothing left, you have you have but five loaves and two fish. I'm not going to ask you to go do more. I'm just going to use what you got. I can do a lot, Jesus says, not me. <laughs> Jesus says I can do a lot with what little you have to bring. So he lets them see the faces of the people carry the the weight of that miracle in their hands. And it's not just to wow them, it's, it's to give them a sense of the reality of what they're giving their lives to. Do you see that picture here? Do you see why I would say that I think this is about the disciples? And not just about feeding 5,000 people, but that He's taking this moment to reinforce their own faith. Knowing that they're going to face a lot more and you and I, we're, we're going to face trials throughout life. But God wants us to know that He moves towards us in compassion even when we have nothing left to give. I want to, take five away, I want to talk about five takeaways from this text. Five takeaways from that story that I hope would encourage us whether we are those people right now we're not really facing grief and we're just thinking about it and those that are. The first is that God still moves towards us when we're selfish and oblivious. So we talked about in the beginning, God moves towards us when we are selfish and oblivious. He is compassionate and abounding in love. This is a great truth for us. We do not have to always come to God perfect or with our lives together or with our story together. Um, we don't always have to come to God after 30 minutes of, of studying the Bible and 20 minutes of prayer. That sometimes we can just stumble into the presence of God and say, help me. And He doesn't send us out to do, harder or do more or work harder. He doesn't send us away he moves towards us in his compassion said he gave up his life while we were yet sinners while we were still in sin and rebelling against god he moved towards us and he continues to move towards you even when you're not at your best takeaway number two jesus can relate to our pain when others are oblivious to our suffering for some of you, at times, uh, you're feeling that weight of other people imposing upon you when you feel like you've got nothing left, and we have a God that can can sympathize with that pain, sympathize with people not knowing what's going on or even caring what's actually happening with us. They just want something from us. That can be very difficult, but it is nice to know that Jesus can relate. That the pain, the additional pain caused by that is still something that Jesus can relate to and we can go to him as a high priest who has experienced it as well. Number 3, and I think this is really important for us this morning, is that you have value in your brokenness. That what you bring to this body, to this family, to your to your family, what you bring, what little you have is enough that you have value. Regardless of your story and brokenness in your story. What little you're able to bring can still be a blessing because of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit can empower that and use that. And sometimes you feel like, man, I've got nothing. And that's okay. God can bring um, a lot of blessing out of very little. And what's, what's, what's beautiful about this is that it's not just that He's like, okay, that's all you got. I'll deal with it. He gives thanks to God for the five loaves and the two fish. Right? He gives thanks for you regardless of what you bring. He gives thanks that you, would, that you would have anything to give. Regardless of how little or how much. He gives thanks for it. So it's not just that He can do anything with it. It's that He's thankful for whatever you would be able to give. And He can multiply that to many. Um, fourth, uh, pragmatism. I want you to hear this: pragmatism can lead you to miss miracles. What the disciples do is they get very pragmatic. It's late. We're in a desert. There's no food. We should just send people home. They lack the imagination for what God could do. And sometimes in our lives we get very practical. They're not going to. They're not going to get better. This, this, just, this, isn't, this isn't something that God can deal with. This is just the way that life is. That person's never going to come to know Jesus. And so we stop praying. We stop taking it before God. And what I want to just encourage you this morning is that sometimes that pragmatism is, is it's, it's, um, causing you to miss what God can do in your life and maybe in the lives of others. Sometimes it may be happening and you just can't see it because you're just so practical. Um, coming from a guy with an engineering degree, um, uh, I have to remind myself sometimes, like, like hey, sometimes you just got to let God do uh, what God can do and not try to, to, to be pragmatic or logical about it, but really take it and say, I don't know how you're going to make this different. I don't know how you're going to address this issue, but Lord, I trust that you possibly can. And the last thing. The last takeaway is this, is that Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is a source of life, regardless of what you're going through this morning, that Jesus is the source of life. Jesus showed the disciples that what the crowd really needed was Him. You see, their pragmatism got them thinking they need food. The most important thing for this crowd is that they need to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, the most important thing that this crowd needs is My presence. That where they're going to get their source of life is not from going and getting a meal in the village, but where they're going to get their source of life is staying here and eating from the Word of God. That their deepest need is not for food, it's for eternal life. And that's one thing that as we come to this text, that we get to celebrate with them is that what we celebrate every, every time we come, come together and gather, every time we gather in community groups, every time we gather on Sunday, that when we gather and we celebrate, we celebrate this, is that what we need at the end of the day, um, more than we need a job, more than we need to, um, uh, to be healed of whatever ailment we're dealing with, more than we need um, for relationship to be mended, we need more than anything is life in Jesus. We need His presence in our life. All those things can be addressed. And I pray that God would address those things in your life. But what we need before anything and everything is for the presence of Jesus in our life. And that's what He he took this moment to teach the disciples so that they would know as they go forth and then they go on in in spreading the Gospel that this is the most important thing. Amen? Amen. It's the most important thing for us this morning. And what's beautiful is that every time we gather, we, we celebrate and we do the same thing that Jesus did here. Is do we have uh, there we are um, every time we come and celebrate, we take we take the bread and we break it and we give thanks to God for uh, for the church, for one another to celebrate what Christ did for us, that his body was broken for us. Um, So that we could be forgiven of sins, that His blood was poured out on our behalf, washing away our sin, so that we can come before the throne of God, so that we can enjoy the presence of Jesus. So this morning as we come and we take communion, that we would remember that whatever you bring this morning to this body, to your family, to Jesus, it's enough. What you bring this morning is enough, and God gives thanks for you. He gives thanks to God for you, and he's going to use you to bless others. Amen? Let me pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com slash JTown.